I evaluate all the time now that Batman uh, begins and the Dark Knight are so popular and so many people love them. You, it's, it, you're hard pressed to find somebody who hates those films. And so I evaluate all the time. Am I? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Why do I like these films? And so I and I look at them. He's like, yes, these are really good films. And so there's part of me that goes, oh, I have hope for for humanity. All these people who watch these reality TV shows, maybe they're not so. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's not so bad after all. <laughs> maybe they do have a little bit of sense in there somewhere. <laughs> This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and by my co-host, Joseph Darnell, a movieology fan. How are you, Joseph? Hi. I'm doing good. How are you, uh, TJ? Good. And it's <laughs> funny, we're talking to each other like we haven't been talking to each other, so that seems a little unnatural. It does, but uh, you hey... Know. You know, we, we, ha- we did start, we did start this conversation several minutes ago, so I'm sure that's not yes. a surprise to our listeners. No. Uh, um, anyway. I don't know why I, I was about to call you Ted and I was like, no T and TJ doesn't stand for Ted. Yeah. You know, we so really don't know each other in the real world now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who are you again? Why yeah. are we on this thing? I just, I just, you know, I responded to a, a Skype chat invitation and it was this guy who said he wanted to do a podcast with me and I'm like, yeah, okay. what's that about? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. We actually have only met in person one time. Uh, we really had a lot of lo- online interaction. Our paths just seem to keep crossing, so it's been fun. Yeah, repeatedly. I didn't even know it, but one time I criticized an article you wrote, and I was like, huh, that's funny. I knew that guy. Yeah, well, and I think I, I gave you a hard time on Twitter about it, too, so that's okay. I don't mind criticism, though. Your, your criticism is fair. I just disagreed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, and and well, yeah. I'm glad that we can do a, a serious-minded podcast now. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. You know, movie bite. Um, I'm actually excited to be a part of this. Um, I have to admit, this has been com- a long time coming. Yes. I know. I know you have been working on designing a movie-related podcast of your own, but for my sake, my involvement. I've I had dreamed of doing an audio podcast all the way back to the beginning of the start of the movieology web video show. Interesting. I did not even know that. Oh yeah. I I wanted to to branch out and just not put all of my eggs in one basket. I wanted to provide web video content for those people that are um visually oriented and article content for those people that prefer to read when it's easier to do so than to watch video and listen to it and pay close attention. And then we got a lot of people that frequently would say, hey, the way I digest your content is I just listen to it while I'm doing chores around the house. I can't really look at my computer, but I crank up the volume and there I go. And so I oftentimes thought to myself, man, I wish I could actually distribute our um, our uh, work efforts or time and give some time to each of those three mediums, writing articles, producing web video content and audio podcasts. It didn't work out at the time. It was just too time intensive for our small collective producer staff. So I think in the long run, I think you get the best engagement with an audio podcast. I think that you can definitely engage your audience faster with video content. Sure. But And then for a long term, um, what would you say? For a sense of timelessness, for a sense of 
the longevity of the content and making it worth its while for a long period of time. If you can get a long lifespan on the internet, I think that the articles are best served. Um, so I, I thought it would be good to produce all three of those mediums for movieology at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know for myself, uh, I, I consume podcasts uh, probably the most as far as any type of media that I consume, although I watch a lot of TV shows too. But um, I podcasts are easy for me because I can listen to them at almost at any time. Um, Aren't they? Although, yeah. although as an editor, uh, as a video editor, I do find there are times when I can't listen. But there are also times when I'm just doing, you know, I hate to say menial tasks, but the tasks that have to be done but that are kind of mindless. And that's a great time for podcasts or driving. Uh, driving is also a great time for podcasts. Yes. And, and none of those th- times lend themselves to video watching. And when I want to watch a video, uh, no, no offense, I, I loved movieology. Don't get me wrong. But I didn't want to sit down and watch movieology. I wanted to sit down and watch Stargate or um, you know Fringe. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yes. want to watch yes. movieology. So um, I found that I didn't watch as much movieology as I wanted to. And I wanted to be engaged with the content. But – uh, well, the Fringe and Stargate's production values were much higher than Movieology, so I don't. Well, I didn't you. want to say anything, but you know that's that's certainly true. <laughs> but if they gave me the budget of Stargate, I'm sure I'm sure I could have done something to blow it out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps so. Yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think our our goal here is definitely to engage folks in a medium that's easy to to consume, and certainly cool. I'm I'm certainly thinking. Uh, that way because that's the way I love to consume this sort of medium. So, Right, um, and I guess the name kind of says a lot about itself. Movieology suggested that it was a very deep study of film, and it actually turned out to be quite so. A lot of people um, who were just getting initiated to the show asked us, why are y'all going so deep? And it was actually intentionally countercultural to do so. We didn't want to be... Um, you know, too simplistic. We wanted to get into some discussion that most movie reviews and movie sites would not get into. Talking about some of the philosophy of the stories and the the messages behind a film. You know, there's good books on the matters, and you can study such things in university. But perhaps if you miss those things in university, or you just uh, you know didn't find the classes all that particularly engaging, movieology was there to make those subjects relevant and engaging again, make them interesting. Yeah. But movie bite suggests by its very name that it's a different sort of delivery of the movie related media. We're getting a little bit more into focus, um, talking about sort of, um, what's, what would, what would you say bite insinuates? It insinuates a lot to me, uh, different from ology in movieology. Well, bite to me is at least spelled with the Y is very digital, you know. Um, yeah, and and it suggests, uh, boy, how do, well, I don't know. It's hard for me to get my associations out of my head and out into the air. I I don't know beyond that. I mean, it's a digital something, and of course, movie bite. So, um, it it, it suggests to me that we're about the digital age, you know, and talking about movies. Yeah, and I think that it suggests that this is a um, a bit more fast pace, or that it's uh, quicker to the point. It's a uh, more bite size. I mean, that's a play on the words, mind you. It's not spelled the same way. Sure, but it is suggested by its very name. It also sounds like we're sinking our teeth into something. Yeah, um, and like you said, in a um, sort of a digital age sense, it's spelled B Y T E. You know, uh, to suggest, look, you know, we're trying to take advantage of. Um, 
making our media the most available to our audience in the most effective way possible over the digital space. Yeah. I don't want to have too much of a meta conversation about uh, about this podcast because we are we do have a topic, <laughs> a movie, and I'll just throw it out there so we don't lose anybody. We're going to talk about Batman because boy, that comes out tonight. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could be there opening night. Twelve oh one. I wanted to so badly. But before you we do, remember, go ahead. You remember uh, Stuart Adams from Movieology? He's actually going to go to a I saw that. tonight. I saw that on Facebook. Yes, um, he friended mm. me on Facebook actually. So yeah, I saw that. But uh, before we get into that, um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the podcast um, and what what the Movie Bite podcast is and how it's different from Movieology. And we're going to throw this out there too. There is a Movieology podcast coming soon, so uh, yes. that's exciting to me. Um, uh, we're gonna, you know, we don't know exactly when, but uh, it's coming soon. Movieology podcast. So, and that's going to exist as part of Movie Bite. Yeah, and and. Um pay close attention to the website to find updates for movieology because it won't be on a regular schedule like movie bite. It'll be coming out a little less frequently, but the material will be oh so amazing. Yes. We got, we got two terrific hosts in mind and uh, they were all excited about doing it together. So I think it'll be a terrific show in and of itself. Yes. I'm glad and, that movieology can live on. Yeah, I am too. Very much so. Uh, and in fact, uh, one of the conversations. Oh, by the way, movieology. We're gonna we're gonna have show notes, and movieology is uh, going into the show notes right now. I'm pasting them in, um, and that will be at. I believe I've decided on the URL, so I'm gonna say this: uh, moviebyte.com/mbpodcast/one. This is the first episode, so you will be able to find those show notes there. Or if you have um, a podcatcher that uh, will retrieve show notes, uh, they will be there as well, like uh, Instacast does that for me. I often look at show notes right in Instacast in uh, iPhone, on my iPhone. So, yes, AmericanVision.org, isn't it? I just pasted it where to go, uh, slash movieology. Uh, but that'll, yes. that'll be in the show notes. Uh, and there's some great stuff out there. Recommend to uh, all our listeners to go and uh, check that out. So um, yeah, we may refer to a movieology episode now and then. We did a past episode on Batman: uh, The Dark Knight, which and, I did uh, not watch. Terrific. I meant yeah. to. I meant. I meant to watch it before we got to this podcast. So I'm, I'm just telling hmm. you what a horrible uh, viewer I was of that. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. I'm, I'm so. I'm so embarrassed. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, shame on you. Yes, shame, shame on, on me. I'm. I will uh, do penance. So, Movieology Podcast, look for that, um, and that will be, uh, when when, it, when it's ready, uh, moviebyte.com slash movieology. Yeah, now the thing, the trick to the difference, the main difference between Moviebyte and Movieology, besides the fact that it's two different hosts with a different approach to films, to be distinct about what those approaches are and how they're, they differ from each other, Moviebyte is going to be broadly focused, and yes. Movieology is very specific, addressing uh, one film, getting very philosophical about that film, maybe from time to time, or talking about what it means in the abstracts. And Movie Bite will be a little bit more grounded, a little bit more about the entertainment value. Yes. Talking about whether or not something is praiseworthy, engaging, uh, significant to the audience, worthy of going to the cinema to watch. Yeah. And, and we should mention, I mean, we want this show to be for everybody. Um, and But – you and I are both Christians, and we're going to have Christian worldviews, and we're also very conservative. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I, I think that there's something in this for everyone. And I don't get me wrong; I have several uh, liberal friends, especially in the in the media that I work in. I'm an editor, and uh, I'm a, uh, a videographer, and I work with a lot of guys who are liberal. And we even talk about those things sometimes. I know one guy who talks freely and openly to me, and we're great friends. But um, 
So we want this to be for everybody, but I just want to get that out in the air. You know, if you hear an opinion that you don't agree with, don't, you know, we're not trying to offend you, but this is, you know, this is who we are. You know, we've, we ought to also mention that, um, one of the, the issues we are going to face as a part of the format of our show is that TJ and I are recording remotely from each other. Yes. And we're recording over Skype. So, um, this is going to be different. It's not like we're just sitting side by side and we know what, um, the other one is referring to on their screen or, you know, got a movie on in the what? other side of the room and we Wait, can, you can't, you can't see my scene. hands gesturing here. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, we could do a video chat. Oh, although my, yeah, yeah. I, I found that, uh, the, the audio quality was so horrible uh, when we did that, that, uh, it's much better when we're doing just audio. And I, I don't. I feel much less self conscious. I don't know about you. This whole uh, FaceTime thing, and I love it when I'm away from my family, and I use FaceTime to communicate with my family and say hi to my kids if I'm on a, uh, you know, on a trip or something. But FaceTime in general, to me, is just awkward. It's just awkward. I think it's going to take a few more generations before it becomes natural. Yeah. And uh, it's funny that we should be saying this because, after all, we're talking about movies and a very visual medium, and yet <laughs> we struggle to be on camera ourselves yes. as filmmakers, as oh, independent filmmakers. <laughs> I totally agree. Even the mic is a little something new for me. Although back in the day when I was uh, 18, 19, 20, I played guitar, and I actually got some of this equipment that I'm using tonight. Uh, it was more like when I was 22 when I got this equipment. I had an original set of equipment that wasn't very good. Um, some of this equipment I got is 22 or 23. I'm 30 now, if that gives you a little um, sense of the age of some of this stuff. But uh, I did record some songs. I played guitar and stuff. So I've done a little bit of that, but I've never done this sort of thing. But I was inspired to do it, you know, through several podcasts that I listened to and wanted to talk about stuff that's important to me and, and to you. So, uh, yeah, well, but I, I, I often quip that uh, that's the wrong side of the camera for me. I don't know how you do it, <laughs> you know, when, I, when I'm filming someone and now here I am, I'm you know, recording a podcast. So it's a little odd for me. It felt that way for about the first six months, but then one day just something just snaps. It's like learning division. And then one day you can't explain it, but you just figured it out. You learned it all on your own. No, no teacher really helped you. It just clicked. Yeah. It's the same way with being on camera or on a microphone. Anybody can do it, but don't tell them. No, no. Because, or, or then we because, don't. Yeah. We're not special <laughs> we're anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Movie Bite will be uh, a little diff a lot different from Movieology because uh, while we you know we do have a topic today, we're going to talk about Batman. It is going to be more broadly focused than the Movieology was and move and, and will be. Where Movieology is just going to pick a film uh, from what I understand, and we just talked about this today. I didn't realize that Movieology was going to be its own podcast again until today. Um, but from my understanding, what you told me, Joseph, they're going to pick a film and they're going to talk about it and study it, and and we're going to be quite a bit more broad than that. Yes, they'll probably go to see a film together and then they'll come back and get their first reactions to it. And then they'll follow up, uh, record some more in a later date when they've had more time to chew on it. They have some good ideas. It's a different way of approaching their their movie review critique. They want to get their first impressions as well as what they think of the film at a later time and then put those together into one episode in, one, in uh, two parts. Yeah. Well, and we're, we're hopefully going to get, uh, you know, some fairly early reactions to The Dark Knight Rises when we record next because uh, I don't know about you. I'm going to see it Saturday. Got my tickets purchased, going with a few friends. Oh, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, wanted, wanted so badly to go tonight, but I have work tomorrow. And, you know, the, the first showing's at 12.01. 
at the uh, Carmike Cinema in Franklin, and I'm like, oh, man. And so I started doing the math, 30 minutes of trailers. This is, you know, they're going to have 30 minutes of trailers. The film is going to be no less than two hours and 15 minutes. I haven't, I've, I've not even, have you seen how long it is? Any chance? No. Uh, it's, I, it, I cannot imagine it being less than two hours and 15 minutes. I mean, they're wrapping up the trilogy, and Bane seems like a super big bad guy, from what I can tell. They've been trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible. So, uh, but I, you know, and and I've I've got several reviews that I want to read after I see it, but I've I've been avoiding those too, you know, from the critics, from Ebert and and, and oh people. wow, okay, it's one hundred and sixty four minutes long. Wow, almost 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 two and three quarters of an hour. That is a long film. <laughs> yeah, and you know, um, it's it's interesting. I I felt as much as I love both the Batman's uh, Batman Begins and the Dark Knight. I felt like the Dark Knight was pushing it time-wise a little bit what is it like two hours and 30 minutes two hours and 25 something like that um i i i I was asking myself the question and i always say if you do this in the theater it's not good that you that the filmmakers failed i was i was just a little bit going oh man is this movie not over yet um and and (laughs) and so as much as i love the film and i didn't get that sense the last time i watched it which i watched it just last week in preparation for this podcast and for the and for the dark knight rises um, but I did get that sense in theater. It's like, wow, this is a long film. So, anyway, so we're now we're talking about Batman. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to back up and talk a little bit of the backstory of uh, maybe you want to pick up with Nolan or the backstory for this trilogy or even something more uh, rudimentary about Batman, going back to just the whole the whole mythos. Or do you, you know where do you want to pick up? Where well, do you want to jump right into the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I have a few notes here. Like, uh, what was our backgrounds going into this film? And I, you know, I've been doing a lot of talking. So why don't you start? Well, my background going into The Dark Knight Rises is I watched the featurette that came out a few weeks ago. It's thirteen minutes long or so. It's available on YouTube. I know some people don't want to spoil a film, so they religiously avoid promotional featurettes like this that come online and you know, to try and bait and get the audience to come out to see the film on opening weekend. And I personally, you know, spoilers to a degree don't really bother me. I, uh, when I was working on movieology, it turned out to be a good thing because oftentimes I was researching a film, reading several reviews on the piece before I would go and watch it. But, uh, with the Batman Dark Knight Rises, I have a theory. I think how this, I think I know what's going on in this movie. Did, did you, by I, you the know, way, put that in a sealed envelope or something so that I would know that you didn't tamper with it? Oh, Right. No, I need to do that tonight. I need to do that right after we're done. In fact, recording. why don't why don't you? Uh, this is funny. We should tell tell our audience the backstory. Uh, you you and I were having a iChat conversation. Uh, yes. I still call it iChat. It's iMessage now. Um, so oh, there's my <laughs> clock in the background. Uh, it, much to people's surprise, we're not in studios. Uh, I'm in my bedroom uh, where my desk is at recording this, and my clock is going off in the background. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm on stage. I'm in, I'm in a big theater. <laughs> it's beautifully lit. There's chandelier in here. It's gorgeous. Wow. Okay. I have got to get my train of thought back, Joseph. I just dropped, <laughs> dropped it completely and I got to remember not to do that. Oh yes. All right. So we should give our, our audience the backstory on that. You and I were on iMessage and, uh, you said, do you have any theories? You said to me, do you have any theories about how, you know, the back, background of Bane? 
and and what's going on with Bane? And I said, well, not really. I mean, and I threw out a suggestion or two. It's like, well, it could be this, it could be that. And you're like, I think for the first time I've got it figured out, uh, you know. Right. And well, see, uh, here's the trick is Christopher Nolan is a really difficult uh, storyteller to figure out. I agree. I, I, I like to pay attention closely to storytelling in a film. I don't like to get too deep into one particular aspect. Like some filmmakers, they like to um, get really fancy with the cinematography and then critics, all they want to talk about is the cinematography. Um, yeah. I kind of like to just talk about the influences of all parts of the film to make the whole that is the storytelling experience. I guess I focus on the experience. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And so I pay attention to the, the unique experience that Christopher Nolan has to offer. I saw that with um, consistently throughout most of his other films, his trailers don't really give much away uh, before you go see that film. You, sure. you think you've got it all figured out. You're like, ah, okay, so the main villain is going to be the Joker, and that's pretty much all there is to it. And then, um, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, you find out, oh, okay, Harvey Dent, this district attorney, is in this film. And, oh, he kind of turns out to be not such a good guy after all either. <laughs> so yeah. Um, the thing was that I think a lot of the audience had not figured that out going in to watch the film. And that's typical of most of Christopher Nolan's other films. If you think about uh, Memento, um, Inception, and The Prestige. Yeah. Some of my favorite films of the last, you know, what, two decades. And with The Dark Knight Rises, I was watching the trailer and it just dawned on me. I'm like – Hey, I know where he's going with this. It's like it's like having watched The Return of the, the Jedi and A New Hope and somehow realizing how The Return – sorry, The Empire Strikes Back. It's like watching The Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope and somehow knowing before watching The Return of the, Je- the Jedi how it's going to end. And I, I just clicked. So I'm going to write you a message. And yeah. we'll talk about and, that and, and, after we've seen the movie. And for our audience, what I've, what I've asked Joseph to do is to put it into a text document. And then email that document to me so that there's no chance that I can accidentally look at it because I don't want That's it right. to be spoiled. But I do want to open it up and see if, if what you knew what in the world you were talking about, Joseph, uh, yeah. before you know before the movie you know before you saw it. So yes. we're going to find out. So Joseph is going to email me uh, a text document of what he thinks is going on here, and I'm going to check him and see whether he knows what he's talking about or not. And if he doesn't, I'm going to beat him over the head with it for weeks. Uh, so mm. just so you, just so you know. But yeah, Nolan. Nolan is a masterful storyteller. Masterful. He he is uh, he's way up there in in uh, good filmmakers, in my opinion. You know, one of the unique qualities of Christopher Nolan was the praise that he received from the casting crew on some of the other films that he's produced. Oh yeah, well you always hear about how horrible a director is to work with or whatever, and it's like, you know, you don't hear that about Nolan. Yeah, and Christian Bell, you know, who's playing Batman, who has loads of reasons to complain. I mean, think about it. After oh, all, that man. guy has to work out ridiculously hard to play the role of Bruce Wayne, who is supposed to be this very athletic and uh, martial arts expert type person. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, usually it's the directors that are hard on their actors, and then they don't like it when their directors are that hard. But um, Christian Bale, I mean, he had extremely high praise for Nolan. He said that Nolan to him is the closest thing to a genuine Bruce Wayne himself, that he, his character and the way he presents himself, the way he lives is 
that kind of hero mindset that he's got such a ridiculous kind of focus that you see coming out of Bruce Wayne and the Batman character, that sort of dedication in uh, how Batman lives his life and how he's dedicated to his causes. But that Christopher Nolan in his own right is, has got a lot of uh, commonality with Bruce Wayne. And that's saying a lot for yeah. a director. I know they can be very diligent people. They can work real hard, but usually they don't get compared to archetypes like Batman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so getting back to spoilers, well, um, <laughs> spoilers. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you talked about, you, you don't mind spoilers and I, I feel a little bit the same way. Like I will, you know, but I kind of know my limits too. Like I know what I don't want spoiled and I know when I, you know, if I'm reading something that's about to get spoiled, like, okay, I'll, I'll save this for reading after I see the film. And there's, you know, I, I don't avoid them like, oh, I don't want to know anything about this film. I watch the trailers. I watch the featurette, you know, and I also trust Nolan to not release anything that's just going to completely ruin it. I mean, because like I said, he's a masterful storyteller and he knows he knows what not to put out there, you know, so. What are the reasons, though, that we are really impressed by the Dark Knight series, this trilogy is – that besides besides the spoiler aspect, I mean these are these films have been loaded with surprises, stuff that the audience didn't anticipate. No matter how many spoilers got released, yeah, um, they're unpredictable by their very nature. When it, when the cast was originally announced for Dark Knight Rises, a lot of the um, fans were trying to figure out well who was playing what role. And uh, to avoid spoilers, even in this show, I don't want to go into the specifics. But bottom line, most of the the uh, the fans and their predictions were incorrect. Sure, there were there were characters that no one had in mind for the story that no one had ever heard of or didn't count on showing up in the film. So, well, I mean, by now everybody knows Catwoman is in this film, but sure. what does that mean? We'd have How no idea. Will, well, yeah, look, we, look, no look at Harvey Dent. Look at Harvey Dent. Look at Two Face. I had, you know, I I remember, I you know, not knowing. I remember being surprised by some of the things that happened in The Dark Knight, and um, yeah, I mean, look at Harvey Dent and how and what. I mean, that just is so different to me than than anything that's happened in the Batman universe before with that character. Yes. You know, Harvey Dent is one of my favorite villains of all time. It's, it's, I'm not saying that the Batman superhero mythos are my favorite among superhero stories, but it is. I think I am, but except anyway, go ahead. It, it, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that says a lot about you. Uh, there, there's, you got a dark side. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I prefer, uh, I got to be careful saying this because I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but I prefer a Superman mythos over a dark uh, Batman mythos. Okay, well, I, I used to, too. I, I, and I love Superman, don't get me wrong. And I'm one of the uh, ten people on planet Earth who liked the last Superman movie. Um, you must be because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those ten people. I'm okay. very particular. I, I like the last Superman movie. But um, – and here's – I should disclose this, too. I'm not a big comic, uh, comic book guy. Uh, I read a few comic books when I was younger, but um, I've really enjoyed a lot of the superhero movies and for different reasons. And, and I tend not to get worked up about if they're faithful to comics or not because I don't particularly know. So I don't know how much of that played into the Batman thing either. Or, I'm sorry, the Superman thing either. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so um, what were we saying? We were talking about um, 
the Dark Knight, it's villains, right? Well, the thing was is that the Harvey Dent was just a terrific, terrific. Um, well, well, here's here's what makes Christopher Nolan's villains so amazing was that they completely wiped the slate clean of all the terrible Batman movies that preceded Christopher Nolan. Oh, totally, totally. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, and we should go into this a little bit too. Um, my experience, since I didn't read a lot of comic books, my experience with the Batman universe was, uh, Adam West. And as a kid, I watched <laughs> it and, and I even enjoyed it as a kid. I look back, I mean, I found some on YouTube the other day and it was, they're just horrible. They're horrible on every level. No storytelling, no, I mean, it's just horrible. I mean, I can't, how would you put it? You, you watched them, right? Uh, they're just about 100% campy. Yes. 110. But- yeah. Yeah. See, most stories, most television shows or movies, for instance, uh, the first Spider-Man f- film by Sam Raimi, terrific film. I love it. But there is a a good percentage of that film that is a bit on the campy side. And, and it mostly surrounds the villain, Norman Osborn and his company, how he operates the Green Goblin glider yes. the suit. Those qualities, I'm sorry. It, the truth is, they're just very campy. I, I agree. The um, first one was campy. The second one was I, I found much better, and I like the first Spider-Man. The second one was much better. Um, but yeah, the the, uh, the film felt a little cheesy um, to me in yeah. the first Spider-Man. But but in the case of uh, the Adam West television show, it was like everything about that show was campy. Get on the bat phone, Robin, and get the bat. <laughs> yeah. Watch him a, a bat shark repellent and whatever. Oh, uh, just the soundtrack, the cast, yes. the writing. Holy cheese, Batman! And <laughs> oh, dude, good like, gravy. You remember, <laughs> you remember the shark repellent in the the live action movie? I didn't actually see the movie. I'd kind of grown <laughs> out of it by that time. It's one of the greatest like moments of campiness you can imagine. Batman is hanging by a a repelling ladder outside yeah. of the Batcopter. Oh, I've over, seen this on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, over the ocean, and a shark, a rubber shark, comes up, grabs Batman by the leg, and uh, Robin tosses down to him a can of uh, aerosol shark repellent spray. So <laughs> he horrible. sprays it on the shark, and it it lets go of his leg. <laughs> I should clar- I should clarify. I could cut it out and post, but I should clarify. I slipped. Um, I said I'd grown I'd grown out of it by that time. This all happened before I was born, and I was watching reruns and just never never did watch the movie. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, it's such a I mean, really looking back, such a horrible. I can't believe my parents let me watch something that horrible. Just I mean, not horrible on a ethical level, but just horrible. And why would you subject your kids to that? <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness, Adam West, wow. Um, and, but, and then you know, I, I didn't, I didn't watch a lot of the movies that, that came, uh, what, what did they start? Like 89? Um, when the, yes. the, 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 the more feature film, Tim not, Burton. yes, Tim Burton. Tim Burton's version of the Gothic creepy twas the night before, what was it? Christmas the nightmare before Christmas version yeah. of Batman. And, and I've seen some of them now, not all of them, but I watched, um, the Val Kilmer, uh, Batman and, um, Oh, what's the other one that I saw? Uh, had Catwoman Did you see the George Clooney Batman? I did not. I want to see that just to say I've seen it. It doesn't look that interesting mm. to me. Uh, what was the it's one like, with Catwoman? Yeah. Uh, which which actor was that? That was the same as the first film, that actor. Okay. Um, so I saw uh, that. And the I, name slips my mind. Um, so I did not see the George Clooney one. And, and there were, there's one, I don't know if it's the same one, where Jack Nicholson plays the Joker. And I haven't seen that one. But, really? But I've seen like clips of it and stuff, and I just they're just horrible. They're just horrible movies. 
The the first Batman was Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, the, yes. The one with Catwoman was called Batman Returns. Yeah, that's the one I saw with Michael Keaton is Batman Returns. Hmm. And it had yeah, I can't Cat- remember the film very well. Michelle but Pfeiffer. I, I do remember the first film with the Joker uh, played by uh, uh, what, is that? what is that crazy awesome good actor's name? Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I don't like him, but he's a great actor. Right, I don't uh, like him either. But oh, just uh, one of my top tens. If it's not in your top ten, I'm sorry, we can't be friends. Um, a few good men. Heard of it? Yes. That is an excellent movie. Not a lot of action, but an excellent, well told, well executed story. Uh, and and Jack Nicholson, much as you don't like the character, you don't like him, you don't like anything about him, masterfully played. Hmm. You don't agree. I'm gonna have to. Re- I'm gonna have to revisit the film. It's been a long time. I, I can't give an honest assessment. Okay, I love that film. Um, I I love that film. Anyway, that's a side. <laughs> I'm just. Lo- I was just looking at some of the old uh, production photos on IMDb for those first two uh, Tim Burton films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, it's funny. What a how far just the technology and the design has come along since then. This was 1992, and basically Batman couldn't turn his head in his suit because <laughs> the, the everything was so fixed so thick so hot and sweaty and immobile it, it, it's funny there's actually a picture of you know catwoman with batman pinned down on the floor like she's gonna you know scratch his face off or something like right a cat. and he can't but, move his head and he can't move his head well and you know what's funny they actually address that in the first film i just watched the film so i can remember this i uh um, Batman got his suit and everything, got it in, and had you know ordered ten thousand or whatever it was of the parts and put it together. Right. And then he comes well, back and he particular. says to Alfred, "I need to be able to move my head." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it, well, just to clarify, you were talking about Batman Begins. You said the first film, uh, just not the original nineteen eighty nine film. But the, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the the nineteen eighty nine was a long TV show version. It yeah, was the, the one that we call and classify a genuine film worthy to be considered as a film. <laughs> right, correct, and 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 even that, like I said, anything up until Batman Begins is just horrible. It really is horrible. Yeah. Um, it, and this to me, uh, I want to talk about this a little bit. This is exactly what Batman needed was for somebody to come in and wipe the slate clean and say, how can we do this right? Well, I think I have the answer for that. Okay, go ahead. It, it, is, it is what Christopher Nolan does best. A lot of films are very stylistic, and what they are trying to do is give you a very um, showy experience. It makes you feel like you're having a night at the circus. You know it's it's unrealistic. You know these are extremely talented people, but there's a lot of glitz and glamour and elaborate show and uh, trickery. It, it, a lot of it doesn't seem genuine. It doesn't seem true to life. And that's the way that, for instance, like old classic musicals, for instance, a lot of people, you know, classic movies that were musicals just don't work for uh, audiences in the long term because long term general audiences realized, hey, it's just not human nature to break out in the song right. <laughs> you know, with, total, with total strangers in the street. Well, so about the only time you see a decent musical these days, it's probably a Muppets film. Right. Which and, I haven't but, seen, but, which shame on me, but I, I want to see it. But 
but it's that kind of uh, showiness of films, a variety of techniques and uh, just things that show up in a lot of films that just seems so unrealistic that you can't take them seriously. You don't feel like you can relate. You don't feel like they could have happened in the real world. And so if you cannot get vested into their world of the story as well, although it may have been great engaging entertainment, it doesn't seem timeless. It doesn't right. seem to strike you as something that can uh, that felt you know just about real. Like yes, you know it's impossible. No Batman's cape being uh, you know you know double purposed as a glider fl- uh, floating down off of thirty sure. story buildings isn't possible. Sure. But he does it. Batman Begins. But the thing is, in Christopher Nolan's films, he sells it somehow. He wiped the clay sling. Uh, sorry, he wiped. He wiped the cl- the slate clean <laughs> <laughs> so that he could present Batman in a sense that makes us feel like it's realistic. Yeah. It's, it seems like realism. It makes us feel like this could have actually happened. Roger Ebert, his opening statement on Batman on his Batman Begins review. Batman Begins at least penetrates to the dark and troubled depths of the Batman legend, creating a superhero who, if not plausible, is at least persuasive as a man driven to dress like a bat and become a vigilante. The movie doesn't (laughs) the movie doesn't simply supply Batman's beginnings in the tradition of a comic book origin story, but explores the tortured path that led Bruce Wayne from a parentless childhood to a friendless adult experience uh, existence. The movie is not realistic because how could it be? But it acts as if it is. Yes, exactly. Right. I, huh. I I don't always agree with Ebert, right? And I I you know, sometimes I just I find his stuff to be, well, okay, you watch too many movies, dude. <laughs> but yeah. this was I his his whole article on Batman Begins was just right on. I loved it. Um his whole whole review. So, highly recommend I have I have not read that, but I totally agree with him. All right. Well, it'll be in the show notes as soon as they come out. You can go to uh moviebyte.com/mbpodcast/1 and get to them. Right. So, where do we go from here? Um, obviously if you haven't seen the Batman Begins film or the Dark Knight before you go see this film in theaters, you need to see those films. Sorry, I know it'll take you a couple of nights and you may need to break them up across a couple of nights because they're rather lengthy, but sorry, don't watch this film without seeing those movies first. I, I actually don't recommend watching these back to back in the same night. You, these are, <laughs> like, you, like you did? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I watched Batman Begins okay. one week, and then I, I waited actually several days, maybe almost a week. I don't remember. But then I watched The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> The Dark Knight. See, I'm getting – they shouldn't – they're a little too closely named. Um, but yeah, The Dark Knight, and for two reasons. One, of course, is The Dark Knight is such a long film um, that you just can't and – the, and the second reason is just because there's so much to digest there. There's so much uh, good storytelling, but so much stuff to just digest and let settle, you know, and, and let it just kind of cement a little bit, you know. At least that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And so, in going to the Dark Knight, having watched the other films, what do I anticipate? I guess, um, you know, I don't want to split hairs because I, I, be- I genuinely believe that whether these are my favorite films or not, these are masterpieces. Um, yes, there's, there's room, there's wiggle room for some improvements here and there, but it's undeniable that these films do work <laughs> and I'm actually wondering, okay, so which one will, you know, 10 years from now, will I care to pop in and watch the most Batman begins. out of these three? You Bat- think it's Batman Begins? I do. That's for me. It is so far. I mean, the Dark Knight Rises could change that. 
Um, I'm, I actually very much appreciate your opinion because I do as well. I, I prefer Batman Begins ultimately over the, the Dark Knight. It's a little lighter. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not something where you watch it and you feel heavy at the end. Like, oh, well, wow. Well, I, I, think, I think it's not simply that it's lighter, but the difference is, is that in Batman Begins, it focused a lot on Batman's character development. Yes, and the Dark Knight kind of said, okay, we know enough about Bruce Wayne and why he's trying to fight crime. Now let's pay attention to the criminals a lot more. Um, so it was overwhelming. Um, and and it's, it's just to even say that the Dark Knight wasn't Batman's film. It was the Joker's film. Oh, it totally it, was. Yeah. It, and Batman was just a going along for the ride trying to stop him. Well, but it was really Batman a story got trounced. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the Joker in in many ways, the Joker won. Yes. And well, not just that. But I mean, it, it's apparent yeah in uh many many ways the way the story was told. It, it's not it's yeah, on many levels he won. <laughs> yeah. But in the first film, um whether good versus evil, it, it's not important to me that, you know, um evil should, you know, be you know, or sorry, sorry, that good should triumph over evil in any given film. It's that, that's not the important issue. The main issue was is that just that in that particular film, it was overwhelming. Um, because I think that uh, you can definitely serve a impressive, very dynamic film that tells an, an important message with it, where the villain actually gets what he wants. Because and it can be very a very motivating and very powerful film in allowing the villain to get what he wants. Yeah. And such is the case of The Dark Knight. But even so, I still feel like it was overwhelming. So I prefer The, the Batman Begins because, yes, these are Batman f- films. I prefer the Batman character <laughs> over the Joker. I find him more interesting. Well, we can talk about that in a minute because I, I find the Joker very interesting. But let's talk about that in a minute. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about what makes these films work. And, and, and here's this angle, too. Okay, I'm, Do you listen to Geek Friday on 5x5? No, I do not. Um, they, they talk a lot about, you know, the difference between geek and a hipster and, and, or a geek and a nerd and what's a hipster and they define these, these terms and, uh, hipster they define as someone who the minute something becomes popular, even though they've been doing it for years, they don't like it anymore and it's, it's not a a cool thing anymore. Um, I'm, I, I find I have a little bit of that tendency. Like I, I evaluate all the time now that the Batman, uh, begins and the Dark Knight are so popular and so many people love the, love them. You, you're hard pressed to find somebody who hates those films. And so I evaluate all the time. Am I, what's wrong with me? (laughs) Why do I like these films? And so I, and I look at him and he's like, yes, these are really good films. And so there's part of me that goes, oh, I have hope for, for humanity. All these people who watch these reality TV shows, maybe they're not so, uh, (laughs) maybe it's not so bad after all. (laughs) Maybe they do have a little bit of sense in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, these films really work on a fundamental level. Um, just, and uh, I know it's very I, I tr- rare to see the kind of support that the audience is giving to these films yes. as well as the critics together. I mean, for yes. one, these are huge, big blockbuster films that obviously are pop films. A lot of, you know, you could call them popcorn films to a degree. Mm, to a degree. And you could say that, uh, yeah, I mean, to a degree. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of teenagers and a lot of moms and everybody else in between are going to enjoy these films. Uh, they're mainstream. Maybe that's the right term. Yes. But at the same time, that they they have won the critics over. They're they're certified fresh 
on Rotten Tomatoes by critics and the audience alike. It's amazing they, how many positive votes they have for them. Yeah, I was looking at the Rotten Tomatoes pages for both films before we started recording, and they're, they're, uh, one of them was like 95 and the other was 94% from both critics and from viewers. I mean, you never see that. It's crazy. Yeah. I think it's a great example that, you know, there is something that to be said for these films that simply does work on a fundamental level. Yes. Um, that they, they it's hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it would take um, years to exp- to hash it out all out and explain what that is, that it works, that works on a, on a fundamental level yeah. in this series. Well, and but it's uh, interesting too, but I, I also feel vindicated on another level, which is um, as a filmmaker myself, and mostly I've made documentaries and I'm an editor. Uh, but as a filmmaker myself, I, in some ways, I like new and modern techniques, but in other ways, uh, I sit here and I look at modern technique and I go, what is wrong with you people? Why are you yes. doing this? Why is the camera shaking all the time? I realize the Bourne series is very successful and they use oh. that to great effect, but you may not do that because you don't know how to do it. <laughs> I mean, right. and, 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 and all those sorts of things. And, and, and in a lot of ways, I feel so vindicated because Batman Begins and The Dark Knight are very classic in the way they're shot, the way they're edited, um, and in those sorts of things, very much in the classic way you make a film. Yes. Exactly. Um, and, and, oh man, I, I could talk all night it's about how tasteful. angry I am about most, uh, um, uh, the Hunger Games. Did you watch the Hunger Games? I did. Um, that makes uh, you angry. In a lot of ways. I, and I'm a big fan of the books, especially the first one. Um, oh, okay. but, uh, well, a big fan, maybe stretching it. There were things I could criticize about the books too, such as being told in first person unnecessarily. And that's, I think, part of what drove this whole tendency, uh, to have this, Really, really tight close up. Zoom the lens in and and really shake it up. When it, it just didn't feel motivated, and and I'm oh that just made me so upset because it felt like at the beginning it especially it really wanted to be more establishing shots. Anyway, um, so I feel so vindicated with Batman Begins and The Dark Knight because they are shot classically in these ways, and it is a beautiful thing to behold. Very 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 beautiful cinematography, I think. In a, yes. in a lot of areas of these films. Well, it just seems like um, the entire artistic quality of these films doesn't insult any of your senses in the audience. It doesn't insult uh, – it's like you really do believe that these are intelligent, um, realistic environments. And then uh, the only allowances for um, cinema to break the boundaries of realism is when it's absolutely necessary. Right. Frankly, like, you know, the whole Two-Face premise, you know, yeah. Dent probably couldn't just get up out of the hospital, walk around and try to be a major threat to Batman while half of his face is eaten off. No, and, <laughs> but, and um, it's interesting. I, I, I never watch films like this, and I actually had to force myself to do it, to sit down and watch the films and take notes for this podcast. That was one of the things I wrote down is I really don't believe the whole Harvey Dent storyline. Not really. It, it's a, it's a, one of those things where you just have to suspend your disbelief. So, uh, yeah, I found that to be just a little bit of, of, of the things you can criticize. Um, and we'll, I think we should get to that in a minute, but, um, yeah, I, these films are done right in my opinion, as far as, as storytelling elements go. Um, and that's, that's why I love them so much. Hmm. So, so, uh, so my expectations, I'm sorry, uh, I was going to say this earlier, you know, I, I really want to say I have high hopes for the dark Knight rises you know, most filmmakers, they get tired of doing a series. 
I think that Christopher Nolan, by all appearances, is genuinely interested in breaking from the mold that other directors have have done gone before him. Yeah. I think he is really trying to make although I although I favor the Batman Begins film over the Dark Knight. I genuinely believe he is trying to make each of these Batman films better than the previous one. And that's not true of a lot of films. Sometimes no. for who knows what reasons the a trilogy teeters off it just doesn't work as well come up you know the third installment right and i mean you know i <clears throat> star wars <clears throat> uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean bo- both both uh both trilogies of star wars um yes exactly well i was actually referring there's a, there's another trilogy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> who is this jar jar you speak of not <laughs> um Ooh, me I, I didn't mention Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm giving away, I'm giving myself away here. Um, no, I totally uh, the the Return of the Jedi certainly is a far better film than any of the of the uh, next three that are episodes one, two, and three, confusingly named. Um, but yeah, I've I had I mean I just recently like a couple months ago wa- watched the original Star Wars trilogy and I I had the same feeling. It's like you know the Jedi is just not as good of a film, and you, you had a New Hope, which was decent. And you had Empire Strikes Back, which is the epitome of filmmaking. Well, not yeah. the epitome, but really, <laughs> really good. Um, and then nice. you got Jedi, which is just, they kind of phoned it in, you know? <laughs> phoned it in, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, that that, that, that does work. It was That's like, good. well, I guess we got to finish the trilogy. All right, I guess we got to do it. You know, um, that, that's that's the way I felt about Jedi, and and sure there were some cool things about Jedi, and 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 yeah. finding some you know some of the story elements work well, but by and large, I mean, of the three, it is the worst. And, and in relation though to the trilogy with Batman, I think it's not an accident, and I don't think it's just this one trilogy that is this way for Christopher Nolan. I I think that what we're seeing is that we have an extraordinary person. In our a, in our midst in Hollywood, making a difference with yeah. with great filmmaking, I I don't think it's just that Christopher Nolan is trying to make each installment of the trilogy better. I think he's actually trying to make every film he creates better than the previous. Yeah, um, and- he's out, he's trying to outdo himself. I think he's trying to uh, you know stay interested and keep sharp. Yes, I agree, so, and I'm looking forward to see yeah. what he does after Batman. Oh man, the sky's the limit after Inception. He Who can knows? he can literally. I think he could do anything he wants. I mean, even if The Dark Knight Rises doesn't do as well as the previous two films, I think that he could go anywhere he wants and say, "Hey, I'd like to make." Yes, you're hired. <laughs> you know, before they even yeah. hear what it is, um, yeah. I think he could do anything I he wanted. He yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, one of the notes I made when I was watching Batman Begins was, um, uh, and this is jumping track a little bit, but just trying to get back to uh, what makes these such great films. The lack of the whiz bang CGI is notable, and not that it doesn't have great CGI. I think yes. that where CGI is used, it's used to great effect, and and that's one of the tra- problems I have with many modern films is they they uh, sacrifice storytelling on the altar of yes. great CGI. Cl- classic example. I mean, uh, this will go down in film history and in uh, you know film study as a great example of this. Uh, the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Oh my goodness! What a horrible movie! Did you like that Why? movie? Why? Yeah. No. Why did they make I, that movie? Why? How I did they convince Harrison Ford to make uh, that movie? Uh, he's he was flattered. 
<laughs> he was flattered. That's play. probably that's the only thing I can figure because anybody with half a brain. I mean, even when I started hearing about it, I wasn't all excited. I'm like, "There's no way this is not going to work." And, and unfortunately, I was I was very right. And I think <laughs> I think the, the box office agrees with me if I remember right. Did you see the uh, the uh, how it should have ended video on YouTube for the Crystal Skull? I did not, which is <laughs> sad because I usually watch those. Yeah, it's a series where uh, it's cartoon animated just for YouTube. A independent uh, animator figured out that this is what he wanted to do with his creative juices. He creates his own little comical renditions of the endings of films and how it should have ended, not the way it did on screen in the big, you know, in the cinema. Right. And in the case of, oh uh, wow, well, should I spoil it for everybody? Yeah, we'll just we'll just say right here, and I've, I've been toying with the idea of having some sort of spoiler horn that we insert in post or something. But folks, you're about yeah. to get something spoiled. What are you going to spoil, Joseph? Yes, okay. What What are you going to um, spoil? How it should have ended with the crystal skull. Okay, so if you want to watch uh, that fresh, close your ears, turn this off, go watch it, and then come back. All right. Continue. Well, at the end of this demonstration of how awful various scenes played out in the film, and just how hokey they really are. Um, the film, the uh, this short cartoon exposes the film for what it really is. But then at the end, it shows what looks like a um, a public, um, maybe a convention at a comic con where Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are standing side by side at the microphone at the podium. This is going to be and great. There, there, there's a there's the horrible you know roar from the audience just. Booing, you know, oh, this film stunk. How, how could you? And there, you can hear them rioting almost. And and Steven Spielberg's at the mic, and he says, "Um, I, I am sorry. I really am. I don't know what I was thinking. Like like he did with the ah, ET thing. I am so sorry to let you down. I wish I could. I could. If I could go back, I wouldn't do it. And then he walks away from the podium. And then George Lucas, who is holding. Piles and piles of money in his arms. <laughs> he approaches the mic and he, he just kind of shrugs and says, uh, well, I'm not sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's, I, I have to see this. Uh, and that will be um, – I have not been faithful to keep up with the show notes here. I'll do it in post. I'll aggregate them. But that will be in the show notes. Uh, so, okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I haven't been working at it either. I'll have to get the hang of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I realize too. I, I have great res- – much more respect now for uh, a lot of the folks that I love to listen to. Um, who do that, who aggregate the show notes. But yes, that, that, that's awesome. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel about it, too. Well, you know, Spielberg, um, he apologized for, he, he did the re-release, was it E.T.? I'm pretty sure it was E.T., which I hate that movie, but um, he did the re-release, and apparently he changed some things in the re-release. Yes. And yes, I, he apologized I for it. By them because going back to the whole issue of CGI and visual effects that interrupt the storytelling, in, for instance, the case of, you know, the glorious Batman films, they don't let it happen. In the case of uh, the E.T. film with Steven Spielberg, this is another example where they inserted digital effects to alter various little petty things and uh, to change the original cut of the E.T. film. Yeah. And they just wound up not being well received all the way around. They impacted even is th- seemingly little nuances affected the realism of the story. Yeah. And uh, Steven Spielberg, yeah, like you said, he apologized for that later. I have more respect for him for, for apologizing for that. And yet Lucas persists in, in, in annoying his fans to no end. Uh, I can't stand the man. <laughs> um, yeah, and what I can't believe is the nerve he has to oh. say that he has, he has said, 
oh, give people a few more years and they'll respect the prequels just as much as they liked the old ones. Um, no. He is out of his he's mind. He's out of it. He's lost it. He's let the money go to his head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's sad. It really is sad. Um, yeah. So just <laughs> horrible. I, I have nothing more to say about that. I have to wonder about, you know, because I, you know, we've seen greats like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and what happens to them in their late film careers and others like, you know, Peter Jackson. He can make some exceptional films and sometimes he makes terrible, unfortunate flops. Yes. And we have to forgive him for those. Yeah. I, I have to wonder about Nolan. He has not made a flop. He has made – I mean even his most obscure film. What was that one called? The um, – it wasn't The Exorcist. It was some other funny name. But it was uh, – it had Christian Bale in it. It was very obscure. It wasn't a popular film. It had to do with a guy with sleep deprivation and stuff and he was really sickly. And mm. I never saw the film. But it was directed by Christopher Nolan, I think. I better check that. Let me see. Well, you know, everybody has to get their start somewhere. But this film only came out right – I think it was the first film uh, – it was either the first film that Christopher, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bell made together or it was the first film they made right after Batman Begins. It wasn't an old film. Okay. Did you ever see uh, Christopher Nolan's first film? I have not. Uh, it, was, it was a film he made in, in a film school and it, it's available on YouTube. All right. Well, uh, make sure I get that link when I uh, get ready to post this, and I'll put it in the show notes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'll look it up. Okay, it's a uh, ter- terrifically odd, and all things considered, very impressive for a uh, fledgling film student. Yeah, obviously, oh. obviously, some talent there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see, you can see, he's a diamond in the rough, even when he was at in film school. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we do uh, we don't want to make this podcast too long. But I do just want to mention um, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, uh, for better or for worse. Um, but Nick Meyer <clears throat> had some great thoughts, and he re- he released the director's edition of Star Trek II, and widely considered the best Trek film. I think it's the best Trek film, and uh, great great directing for especially for a 1982 film. Just a great film. Um, there were so many bad films made in the 80s, <clears throat> but. He, he talked about releasing the director's edition. He really didn't want to do it, and so he tried to change as little as possible. There were some things where he's like, yeah, I've wanted to change that for years, and so I will. But none of them affected the story overall. It's a really a great release, but I love that he talked about that, and he had that respect. He's like, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I wanted to change it or not. That was the film. The theatrical version was the film, and if something was cut out, it probably needed to be cut out. So he didn't add any yeah. scenes. He didn't, he didn't do any of that garbage. Um, he didn't change uh, whether Kirk or Khan fired first. I'm sorry, yes, Lucas, yes. you're just an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. Uh, of course, he has the benefit of watching the mistakes that other filmmakers have made with their special releases. And I think that that's one reason why the Star Trek series has evaded some of those pitfalls. Yeah. Uh, in the film I was thinking about, um, it was not directed by – Christopher Nolan, it, but it, it did star uh, Christian Bale. It's called The Machinist, and it was the film that Christian Bale made right before he filmed the first Batman film. And the reason that this is interesting, and the reason that I bother mentioning this, is because it's just a great example of Christian Bale's own talent and wherewithal. Because mm. for The Machinist, he had to um, act the part of a sleep-deprived 
a very weak and feeble man. So he starved himself. He got himself sick. Oh, wow. He, he really was skin and bone, like in a disturbing point you know, of, of, of being gangly. So he's one of those kind of actors. Yes, yes. And then right after that, he started exercising and bulking up to well over 200 pounds of muscle for The Batman Begins. Man, that seems like that'd be hard on the human body to do that. To that it was. That whiplash. It, yeah. yeah, he said that it was brutal. He'll never do it again. But <laughs> he, he was committed. Yeah. He, he, fo- he followed through. Well, you do have to have some respect for that, though. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so getting back to what made Batman films good, one of the other notes I made in reference specifically to Batman Begins, I felt, and again, I'm coming at this not a lot of knowledge of the comic books, but to me, I didn't know who Ra's al Ghul was. So it was refreshing to me to not start out with a well-known Batman villain. You know, I, yes. Ra's al Ghul, I thought it was perfect too. the whole arc of, of how that came about and how Batman goes, Ra's al Ghul is dead. You know, Bruce Wayne said at the end of the, or toward the, you know, when, when he's facing off with, uh, with uh, Liam Neeson's character. And mm-hmm. uh, he says, uh, he says, no, uh, you know, did you not learn anything? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that was, and I have to wonder if the audience has learned anything. Hint, hint. Yes, exactly. Well, it was, it was kind of unexpected because you, you, you really did, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you felt like the wool was being pulled over your eyes. It was, and you didn't realize it. Um, <laughs> you yes. didn't. You you thought you Ra- really that was did. the end of Ra's al Ghul. That was Batman's beginning. That was his training, and now we're off. Now we're on to the other thing. You really were convinced in Liam Neeson's character named Ducard that he was an honest man that was just uh, a real gem. Is somebody who, yeah, the ideal mentor yes. that all of us wish we had. Yes, and 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 irony of ironies. I mean, this is what makes great storytelling is the paradox and the irony that Batman's uh, the guy who trained Batman and who actually turned out was Ra's al Ghul uh, is a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, very very that's, masterfully that's tough done. Tough to swallow. And, and it's also a great example of just how something good can come from something bad. It's it's unfortunate, but it's true. And it's uh, a great example of that in movies, uh, filmmaking, storytelling. It's just uh, I love that very positive value of the first film that uh, something something good can come from something uh, very bad. Yes. And uh, I think that that's one of the bigger um, themes of this trilogy. Yes. Um, and, and, and it will see it more apparent with the, the dark Knight rises, which gets me back to something I was saying earlier. I really do think that because Nolan is known for making films that try to top all of his other films, I'm going out on a limb here. And I'll just I'll go ahead and predict one other thing. I I want to say that I'm convinced that I'm going to like The Dark Knight Rises more than the other two Batman films. You think so? I'm I'm not I, sure yet. We'll I'm, see. I I'm I don't usually wager, but if I was a betting man, I would say that The Dark Knight Rises will probably be the best of the three in my mind. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll we have it here on record. We're gonna check it out. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. Um. You know, while we're here, and we we mentioned earlier in the show, we are Christians, we have Christian worldview, and we're very conservative, and so we probably will talk about those things. And I wanted to just, as it popped into my mind, I want to talk about it. One of the things that I love is um, you don't get this liberal viewpoint that Batman is – he shouldn't be doing what he's doing because um, – you know what I'm saying? Like like – uh, he has weapons and guns and, and not guns, but you know, wep- things that, that the, the liberal people are like, 
uh, those things should be restricted and Batman shouldn't be you know able to do what he does and you know that should be left in the, the hands of the government and all that kind of good stuff I mean you know I <laughs> that that's my take on that which <laughs> yeah. which may get cut yeah. out of the show but we'll see yeah yeah uh, you know Batman he doesn't care about the moral ambiguity he just wants to know does it come in black <laughs> this is true yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, as long as it doesn't come in white, you know. Yeah. <laughs> then, then, then he'll, he'll. I'm sure he would use it. <laughs> oh, oh, got, we got to talk about this. Um, the music. Wow. Yes. Hans yes. Zimmer. Love Hans Zimmer, but this has got to be some of his best work. I listen to these well, soundtracks all on the time. The, on the subject of sound, movie soundtracks, we might should preface movie soundtracks. I have, I have just been an adoring fan of great movie soundtracks most of my life. My dad was into them and he shared that love with me. Now I, I collect the good ones and uh, I, you know, I have tastes, I have discriminant tastes. Uh, a soundtrack isn't good just because it came from John Williams or came from Hans Zimmer. No, in fact, I don't particularly personally care for John Williams scores as much. I think he, this is a bit of an aside. I think that John Williams has great themes like, like the Imperial March. Great, love to listen to that. But his overall score, I feel like, often doesn't capture the movie well. Right. So anyway, so with call uh, me a with heretic. Movie sound, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm with you. Um, I enjoy uh, the, uh, these uh, on an individual, you know, case by case basis. Yeah. And um, you know, yeah, you just talk about music that you can listen to a lot and still enjoy. Uh, Maybe music while you're working. Just pop on the Batman Begins, you know, and, well, and you know, trim out a couple of the, the tracks that sound more like sound effects and noise. Yeah, that sometimes, have to do with but some not. Villains, but I don't find that often to be the case, though, with Hans Zimmer. And you're it's, right, it's not often. Um, and you know, a lot of the code was uh, for Movie Byte was written by me listening to this soundtrack <laughs> of, of, of Hans Zimmer's, and, and the you know, the Dark Knight Rises soundtrack came out while I while I've been coding the uh, Movie Byte website. And so a lot there of code go. got written to that. A lot of code got written to Batman Begins, and and even the Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight. It's it. I don't like that score as much. It, 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 I like it in the film. I don't like to just listen to it as much. Um, it's great in the film. Just that one. I, I don't know if you remember that one single note. Often when the Joker is getting ready to do something wicked. Yes, um, it, it just it's kind of like weird sound. Yeah, it, but it was great. It was perfect. Although it, it's yes. just not great to listen to by itself. Um, I remember being in the theater and turning to my dad actually and saying, ah, oh, do you hear that noise? And he said, no, what noise? <laughs> it was like a sound that, you know, uh, older ears just can't even pick mm, up. I hadn't thought <laughs> of that. A, I hadn't thought of that. It was just annoying. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm just looking over my soundtrack library and I am, I, you know, I'm very picky about soundtrack. I'm looking over uh, some of the artists in my uh, soundtrack uh, genre. Well, good for you. And you should um, be picky. there's some Jerry Goldsmith. Of course, no soundtrack library is complete without some kind of Jerry Goldsmith in there. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of Hans Zimmer. <laughs> um, there's some James Horner. James Horner has some great scores. And then other than that, it's, it's really pick and choose. Yes. Um, Even Daft Punk has their moment in the limelight, but that oh, has yes, a lot I, to I, do with – I yeah. do have that. I do have Tron Legacy, the great soundtrack. And I don't like Daft Punk, but wow, great soundtrack for yeah. Tron Legacy. Uh, well, well, you know, uh, I think Hans Zimmer – 
had a hand in that one as well. He, did he? made that one with the Daft Punk, but they got the credit for. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. No Hans wonder Zimmer it's so didn't good. Talk about it. Yeah. Hans Zimmer didn't really talk about it. Well, but, and you um, know, Hans Zimmer's great like that. And and here's here's the thing that I love about Hans Zimmer. Um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping a little over all over the map here, but bear with me. Um, Hans Zimmer, of course, of of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean fame, but only for the second and third movie. Um, now, my understanding, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I I have not researched this very well. My understanding is that Chris, um, oh, I need to look up his name, the guy who did the first, um, Lord, uh, not Lord of the Rings, why did I say Lord of the Rings? I'm looking at it, that's why. First Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I Chris something, I don't I not see his name here. Anyway, he, he scored the first Pirates of the Caribbean. And, and a lot of times what happens in movies when you get somebody who scores the first movie and then you get somebody else to score the second one, you find very not very many similarities of style. But Hans Zimmer had no problem completely reusing theme where it was appropriate from from the first guy. He's, he, right. he strikes me as not very worried about – not very prideful in that way. Yes. And um, looking out for the interests of the right. film over his um, – his, uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. For the record, what he can make up. Yes, Exactly. Um, and, and it's not that Chris, uh, boy, okay. Claus Bedelt? Yes, Claus, not Chris. Um, all right. So it is, uh, Claus Bedelt did the first Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's not like he did a bad job. Hans Zimmer, of course, is superior. But Hans Zimmer, and, and I hate soundtracks that reuse from the previous movie when you're talking about a, a trilogy or two films or whatever that reuse too much. But Hans Zimmer, I think, did it very appropriately and he wasn't afraid to do it. So, um, I, I thought it was, uh. Yeah, I I really like Hans Zimmer. He's yeah, got some great scores out there. In fact, I just did a post recently on Buzzing Pixel, uh, and we ought to also share the link to where our listeners can listen to the Dark Knight Rises soundtrack all online. Yes, spoiler free. Yes, where uh, the track titles have even been altered to protect your movie watching experience so that you don't pick up any spoilers just in the track names. Yeah, but it sounds great. You can listen to it online. Definitely check it out. Yeah, it's also now available on iTunes and I, I jumped on that. I've got it. Um, well, good. Sounds yeah. like a great, I mean, I I don't If you're just wetting your feet though with movie soundtracks, this yeah. is a good place to start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend and, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes. I uh, did a post on buzzingpixel.com about some of my favorite Hans Zimmer soundtracks. Uh, so we'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, but right. yeah, I was, I was just looking at that list. Uh, the Lion King. Did you know that he did some of the Lion King? No. Yes. Really? Uh, so any anything that's not singing and stuff, he did. Uh, <laughs> he did The Rock. I, I had forgotten that he did that until I looked it up. Did The Prince of Egypt. Gladiator. Great soundtrack. Although I find it to be um, – and, and all I think all composers do this um, – it, Gladiator came first, so you, uh, but it sounds sometimes like Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, just a little bit sometimes. So I guess you would say Pirates of the Caribbean sounds a little bit like Gladiator. <laughs> but then I thought, oh, you know what? Klaus uh, did did the original, so maybe he was basing it off of Gladiator. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, there's a little bit of similarity there, but great soundtrack. Love that soundtrack. Uh, he did Mission Impossible 2. Of course, Batman Begins, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, At World's End. Um you know, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Sherlock Holmes, another great soundtrack, and unlike anything he's ever done before. Right. So, uh, and it just he's just such a great composer. He knows how to capture. I think he's one. Of, I think he's probably like one of the best composers in our age. He knows how to capture the emotion of a scene and and really right. and that, articulate it. And like you were saying, he doesn't seem to be so pretentious that he tries to come up with a, an original sound to his themes. Uh, I've noticed that 
Many times his themes can sound a lot alike throughout his various soundtracks. You can usually recognize a Hans Zimmer soundtrack after you've heard two or three in other films. You're oh, just yeah. listening and I you're can. like, hey, that's that sounds like Zimmer. Yep. And and I think it boils down to he's less concerned with trying to be original and different with every new soundtrack he comes out with. He he doesn't mind plagiarizing himself when he knows he's found something that really, really, really works and just sounds exceptional, excels at what it's intended to to do and that is to drive a the film towards excellence yes i yeah I, I i completely agree you know rachel and i my wife rachel we were listening to some of his soundtrack the other night she was actually my, my desk we have or we have a small house and my desk is right beside my bed and she was it was i was working late and so she's kind of laying there reading and, and i'm uh working at my desk listening to some soundtrack and so we got to talking a little bit about it and he we both point we both recognize this uh, he tends to really like bassy string uh you know very deep stringed instruments he really he really likes to it put does. It in there. yeah and it's great it really is so yeah anyway what else do we need to talk about we're starting to we don't want to go too long here i think we're we're up over an hour now it's a little hard to tell because we've had some pauses and we talked for a bit before I, think, we started. I think we're i think we're roughly about um 70 minutes or so after yeah. you take out the pauses yes and, and the first few minutes that we talked so what else do we need to talk about? Um, I don't know. Just uh, you know, casting. People... Oh, casting! Okay. Wow. Uh, how how could you cast this movie any? How could you cast either of the two movies any better? Well, that's one of the interesting things about um, Nolan. I find as well is that he oftentimes casts really talented, well-known people, and he puts them together in ways that most films aren't so uh, inclined to do. Yeah, yeah. He 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 finds the the unique people to suit the the demanding roles, you but, know. And Hathaway has said that uh, this has definitely been the most physically demanding role she's ever played, mm-hmm. and she's played some demanding physical roles. Yeah. So, oh, which which of course you can't talk about casting without talking about that major annoyance of mine. And I I, I recognize this is not Nolan's fault. Uh, I don't think it is. Well, it could be somebody who didn't get the contract right because, my goodness, how could you not bring Katie Holmes back? Um, <laughs> Maggie, Maggie, is it Gillen, Gillenhale? Is that how you say that? I think it's Maggie Gillenhall. Ma- yeah, Maggie, like Jake Gillenhall. Okay, yeah. Maggie Gillenhall. Um, she's good. She's okay. Not nearly as good as Katie Holmes was in that role. And and I always find it an annoyance when they have to change actors. It just really grates on me. And I think that probably graded on Christopher Nolan too. Oh, I'm sure it did. What we know of him, um, yeah, and, it was really his choice. Not to diss Maggie's performance; she did a great job. But I, I also wonder how much that contributed to her death. Which, oh wow, that was such a tearjerker too. Uh, uh, I, I cried. Her? What's that? Could you clarify what you mean by? Well, I just wonder would the character would the character have died if if Katie had been able to come back to the movie? Oh. I, I think so. You think so? Uh, I, I I can't guarantee it. I mean, of course, I don't have any insider information. I mean, because the story was ta- was about taking everything away from Batman, just everything that was dear to him. Right. Um, well, the thing is, is that uh, this trilogy is actually based on a comic book series. Yeah, you, you mentioned that when we had lunch the other day, and I hadn't realized that. Mm-hmm. So I, I I bet you anything if you just look it up in the comic book series I bet you the same character dies in the second part 
I don't know so, but I know that in the various mythos that incorporate that character, what is her name? Um, Rachel Dawes? Yes. Is that the name? Yeah, okay. The character's name, Rachel Dawes. She is one of the love interests of Bruce Wayne. And traditionally, I think she was I think she was originally added to the mythos in the 90s. Okay. But but in pretty much every rendition she dies. Like most uh comic book, you know, girls, women, uh, mm. interest you. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I this, just, it has to happen. The hero cannot get the girl, <laughs> but I, I was pretty upset because I felt like Katie Holmes was so perfect in the role. Like, like almost every casting decision that was made for the first film. Um, and the second film too, for that matter. I mean, not, the, and again, if Maggie had been cast originally, I would have been just as happy. Uh, it's just the annoyance of Katie Holmes captured the, the part so well and was such a great actress. And now you've got someone who's a different interpretation of the character. So I can see why. Yeah, it was it was just, but but yeah, her her death was uh you know I'm I'm I am not above crying in a movie. Uh, I'm sorry if that doesn't if I'm not manly or something because of that. Oh, but, you know, uh, oddly enough, I I don't cry very often in a film. I think the first time I saw it, I shed a few tears. Yeah, I I, I definitely did. So, um, I wept like a baby for the end of um the Spider Man films. Really? For different, yeah, for a very different reason at the end of the third of the third <laughs> films. But yeah, I wept like a baby at the, at the end of the other two, too. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into this in a future podcast, but you and I are on a little bit different perspectives on the third film. But but we can both agree that we were not that the third film was not as good as the first two, and certainly not as good as the second one. Mm. But uh, And speaking of which, uh, it's almost, uh, well, I can understand why you haven't, but... Uh, you know, you really do need to go see the other, the uh, new Spider-Man film. I was no, just, not, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I was just so incredibly annoyed that they would have the audacity to reboot it in such a brazen manner and to say what came before means nothing. Here we go. We're doing it again and we're going to do it better. And we're going to make Spider-Man this really cool, trendy kind of a kid instead of the nerd that he's supposed to be. I mean, Peter Parker's a nerd. Uh, I agree, but do you know, don't don't judge the film. All right, all right. I'm gonna see. I'm probably gonna see I, it on on Blu-ray. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah. I think you're voicing the audience's opinion going in to see the film. But I would have to say I'm probably advocating the position of the audience walking out, and that is that we're for the most part we're pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I want. How is it doing online? What did they say? I haven't looked. Let's let's see what Rotten Tomatoes says. I don't know why. I just I kind of went into it like, eh, I don't care what the reviews say this time around. I'm just going to be gutsy. I'm going to go and buy a movie ticket. I don't care and watch this here film. All right. The Amazing Spider-Man, 2012, 74% on the tomato meter. Audience is 84%. How does that compare to Raimi's films? Uh, let's find out. Let's look at the first one. Okay. An, 80, an 89 by the critics on the original Spider-Man film. Much less than the audience. But only a 65, yeah. Yeah. So it seems like there there's a there's some inconsistency there. What about sure. this? Let's look at the second one. Well, yes. The second one Because that's, that was the – yeah, that was the pinnacle. Oh, yeah. In every way. I have a movie poster, um, a genuine real movie theater poster of uh, Spider-Man 2 in my office. Why is it, it, des- it deserves a place on my wall. Up here. Well, it's got a uh, a certified fresh 93% from the critics and an 81 from the audience. Okay. So yeah, definitely the be- the best film in the audience and the critics both think so. 
and and I and I agree with them as well. Yeah, well, it certainly was the best film, but we're talking about Batman, <laughs> so we should, we should we should get back to Batman. Oh well, yeah. Speaking of which, I see on Rotten Tomatoes off to the side there is a couple of pieces about what do you know, Batman? Huh, how did they know? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to stay away from anything that might be spoiler at this point. So, gonna go see it on Saturday. This is uh, for our audience's sake. We're recording on Thursday, July nineteenth. It is now ten p.m. Central. That means it's eleven for you, Joseph. It is. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll probably be getting, be getting out of the theater right about now on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually – I've got a four, uh, 4 o'clock showing. Oh, good for you. Yes. So uh should be fun. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Nolan's done with this third film. Yes. I, my understanding uh, from what I've been able to tell is that he's, he's done it in such a way, though, that they can't come and add to this story. If they want to do Batman some more, they're going to have to start over or go somewhere else. Well, and that's one of my, that's one of the reasons I believe that this is going to be the best of the three masterpieces. Mm-hmm. I guess my hunt is just a hunch, right? But you know, it's a very serious endeavor to try and end a story for a superhero character. Not only has he tried to develop Batman as someone we can believe in as realistic, although yes, it's not realistic, but he's fooled us well enough with his movie magic and and capabilities to believe that this somehow is realistic. And, and then to go one step further, we've basically seen several chunks of Bruce, Bruce Wayne's life. We've seen him as a child. We've seen him as a young adult. We've seen him as a matured action hero trying to save the day. And now we're going to try – Nolan is trying to give us a picture of where Batman ultimately ends up in the event that, hey, he must retire or who knows. It's kind of hard to say what exactly ending the story means. But you know, Batman can't live forever yeah. like Superman. I'm. Uh, I can't spoil it because I haven't seen it, but I am uh, expecting Bruce Wayne to die in this movie. That's what mm. I'm expecting. Well, you know, uh, the cat's out of the bag now. We know what you think. So uh, I don't. I, I don't have no idea whether I'm right or not. Be interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, me neither. I, I. Well, I'm not going to tell you if I knew or not anyway but uh i i i anticipate i'm i'm prepared for that eventuality and I, you know what i don't mind character deaths if they're done right um <laughs> i i really don't i that's it's okay i mean a lot of people are like oh they're killing so you know if if a character dies well it's okay everybody dies and so this real to life that's true um, and it, and it's something um absent from a lot of good cinema yes. letting the letting the hero die let him die a noble death a a, a, a worthy death yes. of a hero yes uh we kind of we got we got to go back to it we talked about casting but we didn't talk about Heath Ledger um he died too he he did die um and, but that wasn't really why I was going back to it but he did die and uh so we could talk about that a little bit he um i i feel like it was kind of weird. They sort of left the Joker hanging, literally. <laughs> um, and I yeah. guess you assume that he had no further plans beyond that, which you, you, you're kind of going, okay, the Joker's anticipated every eventuality up to this point. And so it's a little suspicious to me. And, he, and, and Nolan has said, and I agree with the decision, but it's just a little bit as far as a storytelling point that you don't mention the Joker at all in the next movie. Uh, I don't know. That's just a little odd because he was that such a odd. big deal. But but wow, talking about Heath Ledger, I mean, did he not? I mean, I never believed, I never really believed a Joker character before. I mean, it was just all very cheesy. 
wow. I mean, you talk about a terrifying but very excellent performance. And I can I can concur. I have also seen the Jack Nicholson Joker, and I still agree with you. Much better performance. Yeah, I I, I can't speak to the Jack Nicholson one, but um, I have seen like clips of him on YouTube and stuff, and I just the Joker's never been done right before, as far as I can tell. And this well, is he is got to be a very challenging villain to do right. Well, I think that the way Nolan approached it and the way Heath Ledger approached it is the only way to get him right. He's got to be an insane maniac, and it's exactly. I mean, and and. I, I, wow. I mean, wow. Very well done. I, I don't care what you think about Heath Ledger. I don't care if you have a problem with his past roles. I mean, I do. But, um, you know, past movies he's been in, but excellent. I'm not impressed by the whole of his film career. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yes, the girls will, yeah, they will scream bloody murder because we said that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he had his he had his charming moments, but they were few and far between until he did this one. But this this is obviously his and his, his last, but his best uh, acting role ever, I think. I mean, mm. I, I think he did such a superb job. Yeah, ditto. Yep. Yeah, I I think that. Uh, wow, I, I I think it was one of the most moving uh, speeches from any filmmaker when Christopher Nolan um, uh, uh, said a few words about Heath Ledger at the Oscars following the film. I don't know if I've heard that. I may yeah, have. It seems like I may have read something about it though. This is a while back, so. I mean, because yeah, it was it, it was before the film actually came out in theaters, wasn't it? That he passed away. It was he? Yeah. It became a big piece in the news about well, a month and a half before the release. Right. It, it sort of put a even so. The Dark Knight did well in the theaters, but I can't. I mean, maybe that spurred it on. I don't know. Yeah, but it, it's, it was a little bit of a downer, though. And there was a lot of speculation that be, he got into the role so much that it was part of the because of the depression or whatever. I don't know if I believe that, but maybe so. I mean, because acting that out that way has to have some some impact on you i know yeah. um yeah. leonard he nimoy, was a method actor i'm not surprised yeah, yeah yeah leonard nimoy uh talked about when he played spock in the original star trek that and, and you know i don't know how much you know about star trek spock is supposed to be for the most part an emotionless character vulcans don't have emotion or they uh, more accurately vulcans suppress their emotions um but he and so he suppressed his emotions and and he always found that he could be play the act uh, he could act the part better when he was always in character and so he would uh, he would always be in character. Somebody would tell a joke on set, he would try not to participate, and he would just always be flat, emotionless. And he found that he would occasionally just have these emotional outbursts for no reason. Like he would just start crying, no reason at all. Somebody would just say something that shouldn't bother him, and he would just completely break down into tears, or he'd get angry. Interesting. Yeah, and so I can't imagine that – I mean I can only imagine that it had some sort of effect on Heath Ledger too, that character that he played. So who knows? But yeah, uh, uh, it would be sad if that was the case, but I don't know if we'll ever know. Hmm. So anyway. Yeah, interesting. All right, my friend. I yeah, guess we'll, I think we need to wrap it up. Yeah. Look we'll really the movies up some more on the yeah. other side of the movie theater. Really looking forward to seeing this one. So where can folks find you on the internet? I have a site. It's uh, jivingjacklope.com. I blog about culture, technology, Apple culture in general. That's uh, one of my favorite hobbies and favorite subject matters because I am a Mac user, have been for a long time. And so every now and then I'll throw out something if it's really relevant as it pertains to movies as well. And they can also find me on Twitter at Joseph Darnell. Yeah, please visit me there. And uh, if you follow me, I'll check out your your tweets. All right. And I'm uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. 
And uh, I also have a website, buzzingpixel.com, where I write about technology. I'm a more recent um, convert to Mac. I did use Windows for many years. Uh, you can forgive me for that, right, Joseph? Uh, uh, yes, I, I can. I have to admit, I backslid for a little while. Oh. I got a I got a PC for a few years at Shame. the end of the 90s. I, 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 I only was a PC user because I didn't know better. As soon as I got I my have, first Mac, have, there was no looking back. Yeah, I'm no better than you are. Okay. So. All right. Well, all right. So I write a lot about technology and stuff on buzzingpixel.com. Yes, uh, and, I'll, and, uh, yes. and and hopefully uh, within the next week or so, I'll be writing a lot on uh, moviebyte.com, uh, putting out a lot of links on the, on the link list, writing an article here and there. All right. Well, Joseph, thank you for chatting with me. It was uh, great fun. Yes, likewise. And I'm looking forward to many good shows to come. All Have right. a good night. You too. Bye-bye.